Welcome to Two Props in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are professors at Glendale Community College, and we're also faculty developers for our campus. And we are here because we like to focus on teaching, learning, and other stuff. Yes. And the thing that we are focusing on today is academic integrity. This is a really important subject. One of the reasons that we're talking about it is because one of our listeners, shout out Kirsten Potter yes. at Rockhurst University, yes, sent us the topic of academic honesty and dishonesty as a, a possibility. And, and we agreed with her that it was important and it was a more challenging issue. So we wanted to really work that in to one of our episodes. So here we are today. We've Tanisha and I have both done a little bit of reading. We've talked to some of our colleagues, and um, obviously she and I have both been teaching for a while too. So it's a topic that, well, has it come up for you, Tanisha? Not yet. Often? No, okay. not yet. So I, I say yet because there's a very strong possibility it will come up. Okay. So I'm really interested in the topic because I, I'd like to talk about this now mm-hmm. to kind of see what does the research say and, and how can how can we address it or deal with it in the future? Okay. Awesome. Actually, I'm going to add one more thing about that. Okay. Just the notion that integrity is an important part of the learning process or in order to engage in the learning process, it's important to avoid those kinds of maybe shortcuts. And it's also really important in the relationship between the teacher and student that both of those people enter into that relationship. Well, and the student enters in really having an understanding that all of the material that they need to put forth in that class needs to be new and fresh right and is a brand new opportunity for learning right so i think that academic integrity honors learning as the kind of end point the important end point that's it that i'm just okay. adding a little bit to why it's important what well, kind of like in in order to engage in like an authentic learning experience mm-hmm. to really really fully experience what it's supposed to be about. Integrity is very important to that learning experience Mm -hmm. as a whole. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. What does the research say? What did you find, Tanisha? One of the main things I discovered was this article called Why College Students Cheat, a Conceptual Model of Five Factors by you, Glanzer, Johnson, Sirium Moore. It was published in the Review of Higher Education in the summer of 2018. So it actually was really interesting read because they really talked about cheating and how cheating has increased over the years in some areas and decreased in other areas. And this has been a topic that's been researched extensively. So one of the things they tried to focus on are the the multiple variables of cheating that really impact students. Mm-hmm. So scholars over the years, they've studied fast such as age, gender, participation in athletic events, all these types of things. So the authors actually had this approach of a conceptual framework. So they focus on um, nine behaviors that are directly connected to, like, for example, administrators and faculty when it comes to cheating. So, you know, they consider things like, for example, copying a few sentences of material without footnoting it in a paper Mm -hmm. was one, padding a bibliography or including sources 
resources in the bibliography that the student did not use in the paper or project. Uh, another one, main one that we're focused on are plagiarizing from public materials on papers. So that's just three out of the nine that they mentioned. They also had a focus on deviant behavior, which I thought was really interesting. Like what is a contributing factor to, de- to deviancy, to deviant behavior? And one of the things they focused on was self-control. Mm-hmm. And how people have a tendency of committing crimes because they they lack self-control. There's kind of this impulse, right, to not necessarily make the right decision. And also applying that in the classroom where mm-hmm. if you have students who lack self-control and they make these impulsive decisions, then that could impact uh, their maybe their inclination to cheating. So I think I've seen this one before. Yes, I think you mentioned that. Yes. I've seen this one just from teaching in rooms that have computers. Mm -hmm. So there's monitors. And just, I might just give a little quiz. And just the number of students who will look at the screen next to them is pretty shocking. Right. Where I'm, I'm, I'm standing there watching everybody and people are looking. But that's such a normal thing to do in a classroom. Yes. Look at the screen next to you. Like, am I on the right page? Am I on the same page as that person? But I could see that during during some kind of assessment, doing the same thing that they would do during something that's not assessment oriented. Right. right? I'm, I'm looking at that person's screen. Or even when we have students work together and there's monitors in the classroom, they're all huddled around one monitor looking at it. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, that's contributing to uh, environment. Mm-hmm. I think what the authors were, were mostly referring to were, you know, when students have, when they see an opportunity to cheat, they just impulsively will just do the wrong thing. Uh, mm-hmm. um, other contributing factors they mention um, as far as variables were attitudes towards academic misconduct was a contributing factor. So if they don't necessarily see it as necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. they're more inclined to do it. Um, Another main factor was involvement in structured and non-structured leisure activities. Mm -hmm. So structured activities like, you know, things that are on campus, so structured clubs, things like that, but also unstructured things like partying with friends and socializing. Another aspect was, like I said before, low self-control is also a contributing factor. So they're saying all these factors contribute to academic misconduct. So for example, if you are a person who has low self-control, then there is a very strong possibility that on impulse, you might decide, you know, I'm going to go hang out with my friends instead of doing my work. You don't necessarily think about the consequences. And then when it comes time to do the assignment that you're required to do due to your lack of academic preparation and your decision to impulsively go hang out with your friends, then there is a very strong possibility you have an inclination to cheat because of that lack of impulse, the lack of academic preparation, the attitude towards it. So it's really interesting because it's kind of giving this this complex focus on what contributes to cheating. So there's actually several things that are going on, but the main contributing factors that they talked about was, oh, I thought was self-control, which I thought was really interesting, attitudes towards academic misconduct, and then also involvement in leisure activities. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I got from mm-hmm. the article and the research. That goes along a little bit with some information that I found, and I really approached my looking for information by, I think I searched, you know, encouraging academic integrity, because one thing I've noticed is that 
institutions more seem to be trying to approach academic integrity as something that we need to teach students like what that is and have perhaps honor codes that involve that and um, so I I personally prefer that approach than an approach of we're going to catch all the cheaters right. or or even before a class starts I just assume all my students are going to cheat you know I I would rather and it's just I mean it's just me I always start every class I just assume that all of my students are going to be completely honest with me and engage in academic integrity I assume that until a little voice in my head tells me that something's not right here or something's going on right and I teach composition so as long as I've had them do enough writing for me where I can hear their voice in their writing it's pretty easy for me to pick out if they've plagiarized use somebody else's words or voice and that's really interesting that you brought that up because I, I did read a, an advice article from a, an instructor by the name of Rob Jenkins from the Chronicle of Higher Education and it's titled How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Trust Students. Mm-hmm. And, and it was published uh, February 4th, 2019. So it was fairly recent. And he talked about having this expectation of his students that they're not going to cheat, right? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Set up an environment where, yeah, you talk about cheating, but he talked about cultivating this environment of trust. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to exhibit behaviors to where you can trust me, right? As an instructor, maybe being fair in my conduct, being Mm -hmm. fair in how I treat you as a student, being fair and reasonable in, in, in the classroom. And he gave a list. And then also having that same expectation of his students and how establishing that trust is very helpful as opposed to running around and I'm going to use this as an example like Pokemon gotta catch them all mm-hmm. and like yeah. trying to you're a cheater you're a cheater you're a cheater you're a cheater and you're 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 like this vulture you know you, the expectation when they come into the room is you're guilty mm-hmm. and how it's a different mindset and environment when you try to cultivate this place and space of academic integrity and, and create this environment and and it was also the point that was made in the why students cheat article that um, one of the things that institutions can do and also faculty is to cultivate these environments of academic integrity, Mm -hmm. right? Having role models, debunking the myths, having conversations about what even contributes to it and being very open and honest and, and, and setting out these expectations. And that was something that I discovered in my reading too, is that it really is, you know, we can talk about it in our own classrooms as much as we want, but really for honor codes and the notion of academic integrity to be really successful, it has to be campus-wide. You know, everybody has to be talking about it and emphasizing it, or it seems very, you know, piecemeal. And it's important in this room, but not in this room. Or it's important here, but when I'm online doing all of this stuff, it's not important. Right. And and even in the article that I read, it talked about the inclusion of academic professionals. So that's faculty, staff, and students mm-hmm. and their peers. So it, it is about cultivating that culture. Because I think sometimes maybe students don't really have this bigger perspective of academic integrity. Now, we're not saying that like, for example, you don't put in your syllabus your expectations of academic integrity. You still have oh, to have those oh, things, definitely. right? You still have to have those conversations. I mean, we're not saying be all loosey-goosey and kumbaya. It should be like, I trust you, you know, but but being responsible and 
communicating to your students, this is what academic integrity means. This is my policy in my classroom if you get caught. This is what you can expect. This is what it could look like. Like having opening those conversations instead of assuming that students know that information. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues, too, is is that some students are really unclear of what academic integrity means. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. How how do I exhibit it? Because it's like you said, what what they're used to doing, like being at a computer and looking at each other's screens or maybe some of the, the, the practices that they that they've developed in high school mm-hmm. that they've learned from their peers that they think is OK. But then they get here and 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 they bring those behaviors with them and then they they do that in an assignment. And then there's this really punitive. Well, you should know better. You're in college and they have no idea really what they did wrong. Does that make sense? Because Mm -hmm. they don't have this, this bigger picture idea of academic integrity Mm -hmm. and even a limited scope of what that is. Because I think sometimes like when we talk about plagiarism, they're like, Oh, we're just copying and pasting from Wikipedia. But from what we understand as academics is that there are a lot of different levels of plagiarism that even some academic professionals themselves practice, which will take us to another point when it talks about, you know, how to exhibit this in the classroom and cultivating this culture where you think that certain things are okay when really it's it's not. And and we do have to have these explicit conversations and we can't assume that the students know. We yeah. have to say, okay, it, inte- I think just this concept and mindset of just integrity, what is it? It's a mindset. It's something that you practice in your day-to-day, not just in this classroom with this assignment. Mm-hmm. I think we're already down to what do we say about this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Aren't we? Yeah, we kind of just jumped into yeah. into that. But but I guess before we jump in, did you have anything else? Because I know you have research. So should we? Well, I, I said some of what I had found. And that was basically a lot of institutions trying to move toward a let's educate our students about what academic integrity is. Let's instead of the gotcha. That was some of what I had read about. Um, so schools kind of moving away from that negative approach, schools having uh, like an honor code. Some of the research that I read said that honor codes that were whole campus and that were emphasized in all of the classes that student incidents of cheating actually were lower. And even schools with honor codes where it was not really part of the culture. So the honor code was in existence, but it wasn't necessarily talked about or it wasn't really as embedded that the, you know, cheating was rampant. So it's not the presence of an honor code necessarily that is going to make the difference. It's, is it part of the culture? Right. And I think um, this is more like what I say. Can we just go to what we say? Yeah. Okay. A little bit of a difference between face-to-face and and online. I don't think cheating or academic integrity is something that should only be addressed in online classes or is only a problem in online classes, right? It has to be campus-wide addressed. Right. I'm just throwing that in there. What else do we say? I guess what I say is uh, culture is very important, not only outside of the classroom, but inside the classroom. So what I thought was interesting is individuals who had this perception that they had opportunities to cheat. So I guess one thing that we can do as instructors is to try to curb the perceived opportunities to cheat. 
the article that I read mentioned things like, for example, using multiple versions of an exam, scrambling test questions, using essay exams, test monitoring, randomizing, spacing and seating. So really taking away like those perceived opportunities is kind of one way we can create this environment and culture to take these steps that, you know, we want to cultivate a learning and this, this authentic learning environment. And one of the things we're going to do is that we're going to organize and structure and design our classrooms in a way to where we kind of close the door on those perceived opportunities so we can really focus on what you should be focusing on, which is your best work and being the most authentic, best version of you. So that's kind of what I I say about it is that I'm, I'm a sponge and I'm absorbing, but there's opportunities for me to also do some things to help to create that environment for them. So, so, so I kind of have some takeaways with this myself. And also it kind of also reinforce some of the practices that I'm already doing in my classroom that helps to curb the cheating, which I didn't even know I was doing. So that that's very helpful to know as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, I've, you know, as a, as a writing teacher, I do encounter academic dishonesty a little bit probably more frequently than, I don't know, maybe some other courses, maybe not. But I always try to remember that a student is doing their best in the course. And I try to approach any situation like that. They're doing their best. Their best may not be that great in the moment that we've discovered that there's horrible patch writing or a paragraph copied or something like that. But I will use those moments as a learning opportunity and a teaching opportunity. And I always sit down with that student and have a conversation about, you know, let's look at exactly what happened here. And typically it's, I don't get this too much. Typically it's something like patch writing where it's just really terrible paraphrasing. And they don't really know that that's wrong. Right. Like they used a source. In fact, they gave credit to a source. It's just they used way too many of the source's words. So they didn't really mean to do it. Right. But they need to know that it doesn't really matter. Right. Like they've got to be more careful than they were when that happened. That's pretty much all I want to say about that, though, I think. Okay. So how, how do we get it done? That's a very good question. I kind of mentioned a little bit about the article that talked about like essay questions and we can have some of those practices. And then the trust one I thought was really interesting. So Rob Jenkins mm-hmm. talked about gaining your students' trust. For example, explaining your expectations clearly on your syllabus, including your policies about grades, attendance, and so forth, then sticking to them. Yes. Another one is never make a change to your published syllabus or course schedule that affects students negatively. For instance, you can delete a reading or assignment, but never add one. Push a test date back, but never move it up. Mm-hmm. Another one is if you do need to make a change, make sure all students know about it and explain your reason. So kind of like best practices. Right. And I think these are helpful because it shows that you're putting the time, effort and energy to do your best and be your best and be honest and authentic and put your best foot forward. So maybe the students will also reciprocate that in return when it comes to the trust factor. And then he talks about getting you 
to trust them. For example, he talks about the other side of the equation. He says, trusting students can be much more problematic. And this is a direct quote. Sometimes it seems as though students and teachers are natural adversaries. Many students seem convinced that instructors are out to make their lives more difficult, while faculty members all too often view students as lazy, entitled, and hell-bent on cheating, given the slightest opportunity. And he really talks about changing that mindset and trying to trust students because he says here too often in the classroom, we demand to be trusted without extending the same courtesy to students, but the opportunities to trust students abound. For example, when you liberalize your attendance policies and make deadlines more fluid, you show that you can trust them to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. It was one practice. Another practice, when you focus more on teaching than on policing plagiarism, you show that you trust their integrity. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting, I think, approach mm-hmm. when it comes to addressing academic integrity in the classroom. In the end of the article, he talks about how one of the students said he liked the professor because of the fact that the professor trusts hmm. them in that sense. Yeah, I like the design of the instruction and yes. using that as a method. Um, you know, if answers for a quiz or a midterm or a final exam can be found online somewhere, you know, that's a problem, right? right. There's, there's got to be some way we can assess students that makes it challenging, if not impossible, to find pre-written answers ahead of time. Yeah. And I can imagine that would be really hard in courses that might be super content heavy. Right. And they might have to move to something like rotating quizzes or tests or revising or randomizing questions or answers or something right. like that. Right. I, I definitely also like the idea of trust and, and starting there with students. Right. Trusting them to do their best at all times and then if they fall short, using it as just an opportunity to teach them, having that conversation and then talking about exactly what happened. Right. And providing those opportunities for those conversations, because I think something that I read talked about, like, for example, if an assignment is a research paper and how many instructors or approaches that they'll break it up in chunks. You present one chunk that like the students will submit it. You provide feedback or peer evaluation. And if there is a red flag, that is the opportunity right. to have those conversations. And hopefully that student will learn from it. So once again, that goes back to embedding that into our curriculum, and our design and our development, right. providing opportunities for checking in with those students who may right. lack that awareness of those different levels right. of plagiarism. A, li- a little bit of formative assessment before yes. the summative. Yes, yeah. before For sure. submitting that final assignment is also, I think, another good practice. Yeah, that's important. And I mean, so at, Tanisha and I teach at a community college and our students have had so many different experiences when they come to us. So I think that learning opportunity is so important for them. And in, and in some instances, allowing a rewrite, depending on what part of the process that you're in is just so important for some students. Right. And and one of the articles even talked about underprepared students, mm-hmm. first-generation college students, and high-risk students, mm-hmm. and the importance of making sure you communicate the resources that are available to them, like tutoring and mentoring services to kind of help in those situations and those instances, but also being mindful of the fact that th- these are the individuals who are in our classrooms. So sometimes they really don't know because they are not academically prepared. And it's, it's important for us to be mindful of those things. We're not saying that 
you know, you just pacify the student and hold their, you know, like not no. in that sense, but no. have an understanding of, because we talk about this in communication all the time, especially in public speaking is who is your audience? Mm-hmm. Who are you teaching? And if, if they don't have the skill sets, then, then what can we do? Like, for example, maybe formative assessment to really get a sense of where our students are so that we don't just, you know, they, they end up getting an F on an assignment because they don't know better right but once they know better then they can do better so it's one thing if we're if we're practicing this in rough drafts and you make a mistake but it shouldn't happen again because we talked about it right right and if it happens again then we have to have an extensive conversation about the actions and then students need to also know the consequences as well well and if they're afraid it might happen again because their confidence level is not high enough and they're attempting to fix patch writing or whatever it might be then that's when they can reach out to the writing centers right. or on-campus tutors or come to office hours or whatever it might be to check in, right? right? Like, okay, I think I fixed it. Here's what I did. Um, is that right? right? Right. Okay, what's on our radar? So for my radar, I have a teacher radar. I usually talk about nerdy things, but I'm actually gonna put my teacher radar on. I'm gonna- You're uh, gonna keep it academic, huh? Yes. That's not to say nerdy things can't be academic. No, because academic... Academic things are definitely nerdy. Yeah. I'm going to focus on one thing. So I attended the 2019 Problem-Based Learning Immersive Virtual International Conference. Wow. And I'm, I'm really excited because this is the first conference I have ever attended virtually. So the best way I can really describe it is if you're familiar with things like Second Life or anything that has to do with an avatar, it's like you had the opportunity to be a digital version of yourself and you went to these different panels and discussions and workshops as an avatar. So my little digital self went to like these different panels and it was really, really cool. And I really liked it. I plan on doing it again. I I specifically went to problem-based learning because it's a high impact practice in the classroom and we're really focusing on that um, on our campus. So it was just really cool being able to engage with people. So I was at home for, for two days and I got up and I attended this conference. They um, indicated like the different time zones and when things were going to start. And I did go to panels where uh, some of the panelists actually pre-recorded their videos and they have some really great quality videos. Some were, some were great, some okay. And then once the videos were done playing, you had the opportunity to have a conversation with them. And then I did a workshop and it was like a group of like 12 of us. And, and it was like an actual workshop and it was active learning. So we had discussion groups and we we posted our work and we shared our work and we had these conversations about pedagogy and it was really interesting. It was a great experience. I really wish there was more interactivity in the virtual because there were a lot of videos and I was like, to me, that was like a talking head and I'm more of an interactive person. Mm -hmm. So when I had the opportunity to go to a workshop where it was more interactive, it was, it was really neat and really cool. So I think it's, it's a really awesome idea. Like I think about all of the other faculty who would have the opportunity to attend conferences if they were virtual. It was nice having this opportunity to virtually attend and it was international. So I saw people from North Korea Denmark, Switzerland, Ireland, India, majority of the attendees were that I came across were not from the United States. Wow. Yeah. We'll have to put a link in the show notes to that particular conference. Yeah, or, I, I or like website. It. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I have a book on my list that I 
was introduced to from a podcast that I listen to sometimes called Teaching in Higher Ed. And uh, John Warner was a guest on an episode that I decided to listen to. And he has written a book called Why They Can't Write. It was published in December 2018. So I have ordered that. And I mean, of course, as a composition teacher, I'm interested in that. It sounds like it would be really negative, but based on hearing him talk about it, he does spend uh, half the book discussing ways that composition teachers could um, maybe change their practice and incorporate some of his ideas to help students do more meaningful writing. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm interested in that. So what's our nugget? Beth, do you want to take the nugget? Be, Be the example? Yes. Be the example. So, you know, I want to make sure that when I'm giving notes to students, I tell them where I got the information. I want to be sure that in my slides, I have a slide of work cited. I want to be sure I'm citing my images and talking about places where I got images I can use with citation or, you know, just images I can use for free. Um, and, And also to use opportunities like this as teaching opportunities. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are nuggets. All right. That's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining Two Profs in a Pod. We're looking forward to you joining us again on the next episode.